we can avoid the disasters to change our perception of our own susceptibility, yeah, then then I think we get better. Hi, welcome to the Tarun Stevenson Leadership Channel. I'm your host, Tarun Stevenson, and we are all about helping you lead, communicate, and grow to your full potential. Whether you're tuning in on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or your favorite podcasting app, don't forget to subscribe and follow so that you can stay up to date with all our latest episodes. All right, here's the latest episode. Let's get into it. Well, hey, everybody. I am really excited about my interview today. We've got Dr. Dave on the show, and he is a preventative cardiologist but also media personality he's a regular on the steve harvey show and nbc fox news and it's just so great to have you here today dr dave welcome to the show thanks for having me Tarun. i'm glad to be with you yeah now you you reminded me of this that we uh, made contact uh 2015 quite a few years ago this is even before i had a podcast and i think i was probably calling you to see if i could be on your podcast and uh, we had some exchanges but we didn't uh, quite make our schedules line up so it's uh, great that we've been able to do that now yeah everything happens exactly when it's supposed to right they didn't line yes. up then but i think uh, i think everything is good Absolutely. So good. Well, why don't we just get started for those that don't uh, know you? I, I mean, much of my audience is based in Australia, so we don't get a lot of the TV shows uh, from America that you've been on. And you certainly have a quite a prolific media profile over in the US. Why don't you tell us a little bit about you, about what you do as a preventative cardiologist and what your passion is with spreading the message of health? Yeah, you know, I always tell people that I, I was that lucky kid from the south side of Chicago who got to sort of live out my, uh, my dreams and my hobbies. So, you know, as a kid, I literally was, you know, sort of reading, you know, medical science books and trying to understand the body only to room to try to teach my sisters who absolutely right. hated this, right? I'm like, why don't you want to know about your body? Yeah. Um, but it's sort of, you know, uh, over the years, it's sort of transformed into a real vocation. It was an avocation, but really came uh, a, a vocation. Um, I practice preventive cardiology, which just means that we use the whole gamut of, of non-invasive tools, diagnostics and treatments to try to prevent people from having trouble with heart disease, right? Whether okay. you've never had it before or, or you don't want to have it again. Um, but when I was in medical school, Tarun, I, I, I realized something. And uh, it, was, it was not just around cardiology, which I had known I was going to be when I went to medical school because I, I had already had some experience. Um, but it was around most of the diseases that we were learning about. And the professor would be standing there, oh, well, you know, and, you know, this disease kills, you know, 80% uh, you know, of people. Uh, who don't have to die from it. In other words, it's 80% preventable. Um, that's still true today for cardiology, for heart disease. We think, depending on who you read, that about 85% of heart disease is preventable. And I'm scratching my head, like, why is that? Like, why is it preventable? Especially for cardiology and something where we know what causes it. Now, remember, there are a whole slew of other, you know, disease processes that we don't truly understand. And literally scientists right now are spending their, their careers trying to understand them. We know what causes heart disease. We don't know everything about heart disease. We know what causes heart disease. And we know right now how to prevent it from killing people. So why, oh why, Tarun, 
is it's still killing the most people, not just in the States, but in the globe, like everywhere. Mm, mm. But everybody to get a heart disease is still number one. And to me, it was very, very clear way back when, when I was a small medical student, you know, like a little duckling following behind the attending, trying to understand, um, you know, medicine and the practice of medicine, that we had a communication problem. Mm. We have a PR problem in medicine, Jeroen. Yeah. And the PR problem um, has been there for a very long time. But as you and I sort of have discussed over emails, it is now really, you know, laid to bear right in front of us mm. with the current pandemic. Um, and what I knew then was that one of the ways to get people to know what you want them to know is to go where people are. Don't sure. ask them to come to a science fair. That doesn't work. Yeah. Coming to a science fair? Yeah, Dave, I'm coming to that. Yeah, I'll see you there, right? <laughs> Don't hold your breath. But if you go to them, where are people to room? Even then, back then, because this was 2007 when I started kind of getting these bright ideas. Well, I thought mm -hmm. they were bright ideas, right? Even then, it was media, mass media, and social media. And I just decided at that time that I was going to do more than just see patients, which I love to do. I'm passionate yeah. about what I do. Um, and that's that's really the story in a not-so-nutshell nutshell. <laughs> no, I, I love the story. And I, I did see on your website where, where you tell the story of how you were 12 years old and you uh, borrowed an anatomy uh, book from your friend's mother who was a nurse and just started studying it. And, you know, you, that passion emerged so early. Uh, yeah. But that's gone further into wanting to teach and educate uh, the population. Now I'm going to be upfront. I'm a, I'm a doctor skeptic in many ways. Uh, I have, you know, and like many people that you're talking about have become so confused by the mixed messages that I get from the medical profession that now I'm in a place of, I don't know who to believe anymore. You know, some doctors I go to will say, oh, you're on the verge of type two diabetes. You're going to have a heart attack tomorrow. Then the next doctor will say, no, no, you're fine. Look, it's a little bit high and you need to do something about it. But, uh, you know, you're, it's not world ending sort of stuff. And so I find probably with myself and many of my friends who are, we're, we're middle-aged, we're starting to be told by our doctors that we need to do something about our health. Uh, we know something's wrong, but at the same time, we don't know who's telling the truth or yeah. who's uh, over-exaggerating uh, for the sake of, uh, I don't know what reason they would, but maybe that's just the spin they put on it. What, tell me about that process of what you see from the, the doctor's perspective where you have this broad spectrum of uh, medical professionals who are either very vigilant, maybe too vigilant to almost don't care. We'll just prescribe anything you need and get you out of their waiting room. Uh, why, why does that even exist? What's Yeah. What's the problem well, there? so, you know, it, it, it does still come under this rubric of public relations in, in the yeah. truest sense of the word. Like we don't, Let's take it back to any relationship. Let's say our intimate relationships. Yeah. Intimate relationships are founded on one principle and it hasn't changed since time immemorial. And that is communication. Yeah. That is me talking to you in a way that makes sense for you and listening to you in a way that I can understand you. Okay. In, in medicine, and there are a lot of physicians that will, you know, will balk at this and, ha and, and debate me, which I, I welcome. I, I welcome an open debate. We don't, um, as a group of professionals, adopt the same 
uh, a stance when we're dealing with our patients. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm happy to say that the newer generation of uh, physicians under me, and you and I are the same age, the, the newer generation of physicians under me um, are really understanding that you can't, nor should you, or is it necessary to take a stance of like a paternalistic medicine. You do what I say, that's it. No ifs, ands, or buts. I don't care if the medicine's making you sick. We have a communication problem. And because we have a communication problem, the relationship is tenuous and it is um, characterized by skepticism, if not straight cynicism, right? So, so think about this. Um, we're humans. And if you don't have a stable relationship that's based on communication that builds the trust, remember when you mm. first develop a relationship with whomever it is, you build that relationship based on that communication back and forth, mutual respect. Then you had some trust built in and that trust built the film. When you don't have that, that relationship and you make a mistake to room, which we will do until we're not human anymore. Yeah. We will, the, the response is, is very different from a relationship where there is a lot of investment. The return is very clear that I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt in a relationship where there's a mistake, where we've, where we've had some, some, some investment. Mm. We are not getting that because as a group of professionals, we have not made that investment. And when we make a mistake, it is seen as underhanded. It is seen as, you know, malicious or, mm. you, know, you know, avaricious, you know, just trying to, you know, make money. And that's not, that's not the public's responsibility. Sure. The culpability lies squarely on medical professionals. Mm. And I will tell you, this is part of the reason why I moved outside of the academy. I was fully on track to be a physician scientist. I'm a PhD, I've got, I'm, I'm going right down the road to road, let me tell you that, mm. okay? Mm. And, <laughs> and thank goodness for who, who I am. Now we have to have those people, don't get me mm. wrong. I'm not mm. shunning those people. We have those people, those people are helping us with this COVID-19. But it wasn't for me. I was on that road and I said, well, I can't ascribe to that. I don't ascribe to that. I don't believe that. Let me communicate in a different way. And so I branched away from the academy um, because uh, of, of what you and I are talking about, which is I'm standing, you know, very few of us are standing out here trying to communicate and um, make amends, atone for the relationship misgivings that, that, that are there. Um, and um, when you have, and that's the big picture, when you yeah. have the individual one-on-ones where you get different messages, um, that could very well be, um, you know, just a practice preference. That could be a philosophy difference, right? Mm -hmm. I practice what I call holistic uh, medicine, but it's not H-O-L-I-S-T. It's W-H-O, the whole thing, everything. Yeah. And in my mind, there's not a, a lot of reason, uh, especially with some of the, the um, illness that I deal with, to take anything off the table. Sure. Um, just being a human being, saying to you, um, this is what I think is a medical professional, but I work for you. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's uh, you know. I literally work for you. When you walk into my office, you have hired me just like you hire a tax guy, a landscaper, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, let me give you my best advice and then let's mull it over. Let's talk about what's going on. So that may not be um, um, 
very common. It's not common enough. Sure. Okay. So you, you mentioned holistic uh, treatment uh, and you try to approach as a preventive cardiologist, you're looking at how, how can you change lifestyle habits that are going to avoid having to go down the road of needing medical intervention uh, when it's too late. Not all doctors seem to be as interested in preventative conversations. Now, I don't want to cast aspersions, but uh, there seems to be, at least from my observation, a disconnect between, say, research around uh, preventive lifestyle changes and, say, um, if you've got high blood pressure, just take this blood pressure medication and your blood pressure will come down, rather yeah. than uh, diet changes, too much sugar is also contributing to your high blood pressure and... Sure. You know, that, that conversation seems to not be as connected, um, at least where I observe. And is there a reason to that there? I've got to be careful how I say this because I don't want to, uh, you know, tar everybody with the same brush, but at least it appears to me that there has become a, a great reliance in medicine on pharmaceuticals as the response to physical ailments rather than okay pharmaceuticals are helpful in certain circumstances but there's a whole bunch of natural and holistic uh, ways that we can treat our bodies that yeah. are also valid uh, is there a reason we're sort of leaning towards one or the other i you know i, I think that's a you know we could literally spend our the, the whole time talking about that one let me say two things on that one yeah. i think that at least one part of this room is the pressures that physicians and their staff are faced with to keep the, the check boxes. You know, hit room to room to room, you've got to see this many patients, you've got to get moving. Yeah. And in in you know, in, in my practice, it's a little bit different because I'm a consultant. So specialists have more time, you know, to kind of go through things um, if if he or she will take that time. Um, but there are generalists, for example, who have a very short amount of time. It'll blow your mind, uh, you know, you know what they're sort of might be thinking about. Now, again, not we're not casting aspersion. This is not every physician, you know, on the planet, but it is a whole lot of them who sort of have these checkboxes to meet. So there is the the time issue. The other part is um, is, is practice preference. And again, I'm 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 sort of guarding you know, my words as well as you are. Um, because there's so many different takes on this and, and, and I in no way am speaking about um, everybody or to everybody or for everybody. Um, but my philosophy is mind first, everything comes after. In other words, if you haven't made a mental diet shift, I could tell you all of the, the tenets of you know, a Tim Ferriss four hour body or, a, you know, just go down the list of, yeah. you know, different um, programs, new, old, or right in the middle. And if you haven't made a mental diet shift, if you haven't changed your vision about yourself, about your, your, your physiology, your health yeah. and yourself in the world, like literally the whole picture, yeah. your psychoemotional as well as physical health, you will not make the necessary changes. Now, what what we what we see a lot of times happens is catastrophes, big you know sort of defining negatively defining moments in people's health, make them change. 
my goal would be to not have a disaster, not have a catastrophe, mm. make you change your mind. Right. And you see how I said that? Because it's really just the mind. If I get somebody who I know their blood pressure is not related to their genes, for mm. example, mm. there are many people um, across the spectrum, you know, people of color, people not that have genes that make their high, their blood pressure so high that really their families die so early. Yeah. And in that particular case, you might argue, why would we fight? We have a we have a way to save that family, right? Yeah. And and pharmaceuticals work. But if I can get somebody who I know they have made choices to get their blood pressure up, right? Yeah. Their weight has gone up over time again. You know, you know, at our age, to like it for for guys, it just happens right in the middle. I don't know why. Yeah. Like, why can it happen down by the knees? You know, I can fix some of the ankles. <laughs> like, what the, what's going on? Um, but for us, we've got to be as the as as we age, the vigilance has got to be on the midsection and what to do to keep the midsection from from mm. So if I can get a guy to understand that there's a lot weighing in, uh, you know, a lot um, depending on a midsection, mm. including if I may say, your ability to have intimate relations. I mean, I get some 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 attention there because it's all literally related and i'll get young guys in our age range and younger younger mm. who say you know doc you know you got to give me a you got to give me a pill for that mm -hmm. but i don't want the blood pressure medicine and really they're they're all together um and so my my point is this if i can get you to um make a mental shift mm. it's I, it's automatic it's autopilot i don't have to necessarily if you understand sodium and sugar start from the beginning. You make that decision on your own. Yeah. And then we just keep the guardrails, right? If you're riding on an interstate, we just keep the guardrails up just so you won't fly off, you know, the, the side of the road. I mean, you could change lanes if you want to, mm. but just don't go off the road. And that's what medicine do. That's what I'm thinking in my mind. Is this yeah. person somebody whose genes make it so that if we don't help them now, they will have um, morbidity? You know, you don't have to die or, or die soon. And if, if it's not that, let's work on kind of what's happening in, in, yeah. in the mental space. So, okay, so let's talk about that uh, mental shift. Uh, when you say you've got, if you haven't had a diet change in your mind, then you're not going to change in the physical. Uh, you know, for I'm someone who struggled with my weight and my health. And, you know, now I'm starting to see the effects of that. And I, I freely admit that. Uh, what do you mean by mental shift? Because I would say that for say myself and other people that I have uh, worked with that the desire to change is there. You know, we start every year saying this is the year I'm going to lose weight or this is the year I'm going to change my diet. And then over time, you know, that wanes or that uh, the ability to stay committed wanes. What, what is the difference between a mental shift that you're talking about and say a mental desire to actually change and not seeing that change come to fruition? Yeah. You know, and, and, and I don't know that I can, uh, can I, that I can parse it, but let, let me, let me uh, put it a different way. Um, I recently uh, met a man for the first time who was having just a little bit of chest discomfort. This was a man who had smoked for decades, literally a pack a day. Um, it was very clear to me after looking at his case that he had coronary artery disease plaque in his heart arteries, mm. and it was likely causing this, this chest pain, angina, if you will, mm. um, or angina. 
Um, and um, it, it, we did all this, the testing, including a, a heart catheterization. And it turns out that he had an 80%, what we used to call Widowmaker. We obviously don't do that anymore for obvious reasons. But it's the largest vessel in most people's hearts. And we call it the right. LAD. Well, he got a stent and he was fine. When I followed up with this man, everybody who's listening to this story already knows that this is a man who no longer smokes a pack a day and he did it instantly because it yeah. scared him yeah. yeah now what is the likelihood and, and he's got some other plaque now okay and he can see that picture i show pictures okay because they're visual learners to really can't say you know I'm a, I'm a talker but some people want to see it if i can show you the blockages in there yeah. it is unlikely that you will go back to the thing that you know, not really doesn't debate this, caused it, which was the smoke. Um, that made a mental shift in his, in, in, in his person. Yeah. He will never smoke again because he saw his life flash in front of him. In other words, if one can see the importance, um, and there is no, no doubt about our sort of um, susceptibility to this thing, not just now, but later, then you, then you continue with the changes. There was something called the health belief model. And the health belief model was put together by a, a group of social scientists um, in the 50s in the United States. Um, and their questions back then were, why don't people do what we know is sort of the right stuff to do with their health? And this was around kind of tuberculosis time and, you know, trying to get people screened and tested. They came up with five basic tenets. And one of the tenets, Jerome, was perceived susceptibility. Perceived susceptibility. I always tell my patients that means it's just not going to happen to me. Like, I know yeah. that this Twinkie is bad, but, I, you, know, I'm, you know, I'm good. Okay. And it's human. That is human. That's a human thing. And, and so are these other four things. If we, um, can if we can avoid the disasters to change our perception of our own susceptibility, yeah. then, then I think we get better. Um, and, and, and that's what I meant by that. So, so how do we, how do we put ourselves in a position where uh, we can have those revelation moments without letting it get to the point where we are at death's door? I, you know, I've had those moments in other areas of my life, you know, in relationship, in the way that I parent, in the way that you know, I conduct my marriage, my business, my, uh, all of those things have come to crisis points, which has forced me to take action. Uh, yeah. And when we're talking about somebody's health, very often the crisis point, you may never live past it and you don't get a second shot. So you don't want people to wait until they're uh, on the operating table, getting a stent to take action. How do you get somebody to do that mental shift? Or is it something that you can actually do for yourself to move yourself to really taking things like your health seriously? Yeah, both, both. You, you certainly can do it for yourself, but you can also do your taxes for yourself and we don't do that. So, you know, we go out and we hire professionals um, who hopefully share at least some of our own philosophy around the approach um, uh, to, to health and wellness. And, you know, I spend a very long time to the chagrin of my staff, especially with my new patients, 
um, uh, you know, just to try to establish with them, let me just hear where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I heard from you, if we could just use that for a second is, I've got mixed messages from some pretty modified, you know, folks here saying opposite yeah. things. Yeah. Um, what do I do with that? And uh, go get a tiebreaker is, is the answer to that. You know, really, you should get a third opinion. Right. And I make no qualms about it. And when patients, you know, are kind of hemming and hawing with me, I said, listen, you know, I'm not opposed to you going to see somebody else because it's not about my ego. It's about you not having a heart attack. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty clear on that. And if I'm not saying the same thing that other person's saying, guess what? I have an opportunity to learn something. Oh my goodness, what, what, what am I missing here? Um, and, and, and if you approach it any other way, that's your ego in the way, right? And yeah. then you go against your oath of first do no harm because if you're, yeah. if you're recommending or teaching something that is the direct opposite of what somebody's doing, whether you intend to do it or not, you yeah. could be doing harm. And we yeah. still made an oath. The oath didn't say don't intend to do harm, it said, just don't do it, right? Um, so I would get a tiebreaker, but my, my point to you um, is we spend that amount of time to kind of see where some of the barriers are. Yeah. Um, and there are very many people who have personal historical references that deserve to be dealt with. And this is what I was talking about, about that relationship. Mm. Because I have had people come to me for a second opinion. And they talk about the misgivings of the relationships that they've had in the past, not one person, not two, you know, throughout their medical relationships. Yeah. And because we're not used to um, making amends for, for those things, um, we get people who simply don't trust what we say. Um, and, you know, or, or think that there is secondary gain that's not in your highest, you know, for your highest good. Um, and, and that's our fail. And so a part of our, uh, you know, conversations, you know, are very clearly that I work for you and there is nothing in it for me, but to see you not have to tell your wife, your kids, your whatever that, you know, you know, you could just mm -hmm. think of a number of things. Um, and once you've developed a relationship like that, that you know I'm going to, you know, I come from the heart, but I shoot from the hip too, right? So yeah, I'm not yeah. going to hold any punches and I'm not going to just say something to make you feel good. So if, if you have moved out of the space of, you know, that little uh, space between normal and diabetes that we call pre-diabetes, mm -hmm. I jump all over you. I'm coming mm -hmm. from here, but I'm shooting from the hip because what your body is saying is, I don't like it. Mm. Whatever you are doing right now, I do not like it. And because I'm so fantastically built, our, our bodies are these amazing machines. Listen, yeah. I was learning this back as a kid. This yeah. thing is, and it has a, a, you know, a lot of resiliency built into the cellular mm. makeup. It's just enormous. But it cannot take that flogging mm. indefinitely. And so I, I, and I use that kind of metaphor for people. This is what you're doing and this is what it is. And, and we go through examples. Oh yeah, you know, that happened to, you know, my uncle, but then they'll talk about what happened to the uncle, for example. And then we go down and, you know, they didn't do the uncle right. You know, something, something happened and you get to make amends for people, you know, you, you didn't do it. You never met them before, but you should be making amends. You should be apologizing, right? 
So it's, it's really getting out of that state of denial. And, you know, I, I look, I'm, I'm just being straight up here because I think it's, there's no point fooling anybody. I, I have been to doctors who have said to me, you know, you need to do something about your health. And because I didn't like it, I go to another doctor who says, nah, you'll be right. You've got, you know, five years. You just, just, oh, just, just right. You know, you know what I'm saying? And, and inside of myself, I know that that's a cop out. It's just, I don't want to do the hard work. I don't want to change my diet. I don't want to exercise more. And so I use the excuse of the doctor that agrees with my own personal preference. So really yeah. what you're talking about is, is if we know in our heart that something has to change, there's no point lying about it. There's no point telling yourself stories anymore. Just go and find somebody that's going to give you the truth and start facing up to that truth and then start making the changes that are necessary to uh, keep your body in shape and uh, heading in the way it's meant to go. Yeah, you know, I like that. And, and, but, you know, it, that does still smack of, of rhetoric a little bit. So let me just give you one, sure. one piece okay. as, as though Please. we were in a visit, okay? okay? And so I, I borrow a lot from, you know, sort of other, you know, sectors and disciplines, right? So, mm. you know, I, eat, I read HBR and I, you know, I listen to your podcast of leadership and all. Mm. And, uh, um, um, and there's a, a, a Japanese principle called Kaizen, and I'm sure you're aware of Kaizen. Um, essentially, for people who, who, you know, probably your entire audience knows Kaizen like the back of your hand, sure. but the general public does not. And Kaizen yeah. just says incremental change in small steps, essentially, yeah. right? Incremental change in small steps. So if it were that easy to ruin for us to mm. just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps mm. and just, mm. get, you know, let's it, then I would be, I would have a different job. Yeah. That's not, that's not who we are. Remember, we're studying this. We're human beings. And there's a lot underneath why we make the choices that we make, our worldview, our health worldview, our personal worldview. Um, and if I could just identify, after having a conversation with you, one ridiculously small thing that you can do. Hmm. For example, instead of giving you a, a full diet, and, and I have been known in dire situations, people are you know, on the brink of, of, of disaster, really, to be, to be drastic with my dietary recommendations. But most often I say, what's your, what's your favorite meal of the day? Mm. And we literally start with that meal. Right. Just one meal. Um, there are so many different ways. Let's use breakfast. There are so many different ways to convince people that making small changes have big dividends. That, mm. that small investment has big returns. And for the numbers people, if you turn it into numbers, that's great. But remember, a lot of people are just in general, not as numerate. We're kind of innumerate, right? Yeah. So for example, I might say to somebody who in the Southeastern United States, which is where I, I live, right? That loves bacon, you know, eggs, you know, grits with cheese and, 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 and biscuits and like all of this stuff, which is really high fat. Boy, it tastes great, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and high salt but it is driving them toward heart disease or full-blown diabetes, which leads to heart disease. Um, and we'll start there. Making changes at breakfast time for somebody who has eaten like that forever is not trivial to real. Mm. It's a big it's a, deal. It's, a, it's, it's huge. And they may not like you anymore. You, you're a nice guy before you, you took away my grits. Now, <laughs> it is a big deal, especially in the Southeastern United States. With that being said, 
if you just, if, you know, if you, if you get a lot of pushback, you'll say, okay, I'm going to change your morning breakfast to steel cut oats. Oh my God, that'd be tough work. Right? As long as they don't have an allergy to oatmeal, you'll say, I want you to do it every Monday. Steel cut oats every Monday with a bowl of cherry, or a bowl of, of strawberry, do a bowl of strawberries, a bowl of blueberries, yeah. right? Small, small serving of blueberries. That's your breakfast every Monday. So ridiculously small. Yeah. One day out of the week, one meal. And what ends up happening is our psychology, which is also very powerful, kicks in. And I'm, I'm fast forwarding. And what that person does is he or she will eat oatmeal two or three more times because the amygdala, the fear center, stops firing and making you crazy and sending cortisol off, right? The amygdala, the fear center comes down, relaxes itself, right? And because the fear center is relaxed, you have these other ideas that come out. Remember, you can't be creative and scared to death at the same time, yeah. right? And essentially, that's what they are. So you bring the amygdala's levels down, you turn the, you know, the gain down on the amygdala, and it's, it's beautiful how this happens. Mm. Now, sometimes for people who are, you know, you know, you know, if I were talking to you, you would have already guessed what I was doing. So I will, yeah. I will give up the bag. I'll say that's what I'm trying to do. Mm. And even though I tell you what I'm doing, it still works. That's how marvelous it is. Um, that's the mental magic with a small Kaizen-like change. We do the same thing with exercise Great. and people change. I love it. That's, that's so doable for anybody that's listening that to make one small change and that one small change is going to lead to uh, a greater repetition of those positive changes over time. And I think, you know, you've hit it on the head. That is why so many people fall off the wagon with whatever goals they're trying to achieve is they try and do too much too soon. And uh, they, they have their end goal in sight but they forget that, uh, you know, it, it took them 20 years to get to the state that they were in. And it's going to take some time to wind that clock back and make the changes that are necessary. Yeah, yeah. And, and the beautiful part about the trip back, the return trip always feels faster than the trip going, doesn't it? And that's exactly true for our physiology. Yes, it took us 20 years to get where we are but it won't take that long to get back. However, it will take some time. Yeah. Um, and and I, I just love that, that metaphor. Yeah. So good. So good. I love it. So uh, tell, tell us, tell me more about the guardrails. Like you uh, said that what we want to do is try and establish guardrails in our life. And, you know, we're talking about health right now, because I think that that is a universal uh, need for, you know, leaders. We're talking to leaders here and many leaders struggle with their health and that impacts their ability to lead. Uh, but maybe they're not fitness experts and they're not doctors and they're not, uh, you know, gym junkies or anything like that, but they're just looking to make some practical changes in their life, put up some guardrails, if you will. Uh, what are the foundational guardrails or the aspects of their lifestyle that they should be looking at uh, that will bring around those Kaizen-like changes over time? Yeah, you know, and I think your audience is, is perfect for this because your audience is always looking, um, you know, at themselves, uh, evaluating themselves. So yes. this is a self-evaluative type of process. And, uh, you know, if anybody is imperfect out there, then you know that there's room for improvement. I always tell my staff, 
practice makes improvement because nothing that we do is perfect. Um, and if you will start there and just say, look, I can be better, I can improve, that's the first step. What is it that I want to improve? What, 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 where do I want to go with this? The, the guardrails for me when I'm thinking about this as a practitioner um, are what are the, um, and, and, and everybody gets this. This is not just, you know, Dave Montgomery. Everybody gets this in medical school. The two things that they teach you in medical school on all of your board exams is what never to do and what you should always aspire to. And there's gray zone in the middle because it's still the practice of medicine. Um, and that's my guardrails. Where's our highest aspiration for this particular thing? And what should we never do, yeah. right? You know, in terms of diagnostics, in terms of medicines, in terms of lifestyle. One size doesn't fit all. And, mm. and this idea of hiring somebody who you trust to resolve whatever you're going through, right? You know, if you read something, you should at least have somebody you can go to to say, hey, does this work for me? Mm. Just because, um, you know, Tesla's doing great right now. I mean, you can look at your portfolio and depending on how you're, you know, how you're laid out, uh, you may not want to, you know, either get rid of or buy any Tesla right now. In other words, everything that looks good isn't good for you, no, no matter if it's natural. So what we get people to do is just have um, the, the, a person, a reference, whether that's a physician or a PA or a naturalist, um, that will keep you in those guardrails. What is our highest aspiration and what should we never do? Um, and remember the guardrails on that interstate, there may be three or four lanes on the interstate. So there are three or four different ways for you to, to do it. Yeah. Um, and you may want to go slow and travel behind the, the tractor trailer, or you may want to get into the fastest lane and go. There, there is a little bit of that. And we, and we move from lane to lane, don't we? Yeah. And that's also okay. Again, the guardrails are just protecting you from danger and holding up as high as possible that, uh, that high aspiration. Um, so, so and I'm trying to sort of blanket every sort of thing that you can sort of put in here. Um, that's essentially what I mean by, by guardrails. Um, when I make a Kaizen step, you may have somebody who is in a lane to continue the metaphor, who is afraid to change lanes. Mm -hmm. That when they were 15, 16, and they were learning to drive, they got in an accident or you know, something happened and they have a defining sort of memory in their, you know, uh, in, in, in their um, psyche. That small step allows them to just put on the blinkers. Just make it as though you're going to change the lane. Yeah. Okay. Um, here's what happens when somebody goes from, to switch now, metaphors, that goes from that breakfast that has bacon and eggs and grits and eats oatmeal, that they start to feel or see the differences. So somebody who switches that kind of high fat diet and goes to a, a you know a high fiber breakfast, their digestive function is different that day and they appreciate it. Mm. So in, in the steps that I designed with, with my patients, and you're gonna be asking your, your care providers to do this too, mm. build in to the process or the strategy, 
places where I get feedback, positive feedback, negative feedback, but feedback. Because there's no better motivator than success. We know that for humans, you know, which is why, you know, as, as a businessman, you know that one of the things that you highlight is all the successes of your staff and you're ah, okay, you minimize some of the negative things we work on them, but boy, that was really good, right? Which is why in your yearly reviews, what do they say first? All the great things. Yeah. Um, so, you know, somebody who has um, started an exercise program and I tell them, I just want you to go two days a week, book in the day, Monday and Friday, I do this very often, but I want you to take your blood pressure 30 minutes after you come home from your exercise. And when they see their blood pressure fall 15% because your body naturally releases these, it's just amazing, releases all of these chemicals, not just endorphins, mm. but substances whose job is to dilate vessels. And when vessels dilate, pressure goes down. Well, they come home and they measure it. My golly, my blood pressure is 15 points lower and I haven't taken my medicine yet. Yeah. You see, so guardrails, Kaizen, we've got a whole bunch of stuff here. I don't know. This is not a Venn diagram for all these business folks. It's like, I don't even know what this is. It's like the matrix with all these little things in there. But I, I think all of these points, um, you know, something can be, can be said for each person with these. Yeah. Okay. So let me, let me push you a little bit more on that uh, aspect. There are guardrails in terms of health that perhaps are, like you said, things you should never do. And then there are things that you can do. And then somewhere in between, there are some variations. I guess this is why we see so many different uh, fad diets or different opinions. You know, the uh, vegans are always going to promote their way of life as the most uh, healthful. Uh, you know, you've got the keto fans who are, you know, all about the high fat, low carb thing. And it works, you know, both of them have results that they can say, Hey, this works for me. And now you've got the carnivore diet that's come out as the exact opposite of uh, veganism. And they've got results that work as well. And everybody's saying, Hey, look at us. We we've got the science to prove it. We've got the, the evidence and the, to, to demonstrate what we're doing now. I guess if I'm hearing you right, what you're saying is that each of those are lanes that are going to work for somebody, but not everybody. That's and exactly. you've got to find that lane that works for you. For some people, low carb is going to work. For some people, vegan is going to work and everything in between. In that spectrum, when we're talking about health and preventive uh, cardiology and uh, et cetera, are there some things that are absolute just, avoid at all costs or are there some things that we have to do and they're just not negotiables there doesn't matter what lifestyle you choose you just really need to focus on what are, what are some of those uh, I guess foundations that we really have to focus on yeah I love that and, and that's a really good point I'm, I'm going to address that but let me just say to your previous uh, statement um, let's just take a keto diet, for example. Mm -hmm. um, there are very many people who can do a keto diet and have no untoward consequences physiologically, none. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then you have the guy who I just told you a story of who smoked a pack a day for 30 years, mm -hmm. had a, you know, a stent placed in his artery that was clogged mm -hmm. 80%, and he would have died suddenly, there's no question. If he were to go on a keto diet, he literally would sabotage himself. Right. So he has to have a different diet. Again, that's why you hire somebody and say, okay, I just read about this. Mm. How does this fit with my, resolve this with my case, with my physiology? Can I do it? Okay. Yeah. 
Um, the first thing that I always think about is a lesson that I had to learn the hard way to room, and that was, uh, you know, you know, doctors, we put on this white coat, and with that white coat comes this shroud, you know, uh, I'm a human being, man, okay? Mm. I was burning the candle at both ends, yeah, not sleeping, and your body, remember I said, I'm going to give you a couple warnings, ding, 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 and then it will, it, it'll let you have it. Yeah. Well, sleep no matter who you are, yeah. is an absolute must. Yeah. And um, uh, it, I think it was Maria Popova and Tim Ferriss's Tools of Titans mm -hmm. that said that when you give up things like, you know, when you, when you sacrifice things that you know are absolutely good for you, mm -hmm. like sleep, it is not hardworking. It is a profound failure of priorities is what she said. Mm, I love that. Yeah, love that. I mean, you know, don't make a profound failure of priorities. And then she uses the word self-disrespect. It really is. Let me tell you how important sleep is. Every organism that you can think of mm. sleeps. Yeah. Somebody was a smart, smart, smart guy. Mosquitoes, don't, yes, mosquitoes sleep, right? Mm. Mosquitoes sleep. Think about it. There is a period of your day where you could go outdoors and there are no mosquitoes. Where are they? They are resting. Why? Sleep has been programmed into every organism as a time to power down. It literally is the airplane mode of your body. Yeah. All of the, the background functions kind of go down so that the repair and stuff can happen. When does your, when does your phone want to do the updates? At night. Yeah. Okay? That was programmed on purpose because that's how we are. Yeah. If you don't do that, you don't get the restoring, you don't get the repair, and when you wake up, you don't function normally. Good. Let's say you do that for two days in a row, two months in a row, a year. You will not think right. You cannot perform. You can't think right. And you think, oh, I'm having memory problems. Oh, is this the dementia from my grandmother? No, it's not. You didn't sleep. You're not right? sleeping, yeah. Right? And you're, you know, you're cranky. The kids, everybody's getting on your nerves, right? Your digestive tract is off and... Because not sleeping is a stress mode, mm. you're eating stuff you would never eat because your yeah. cortisol level is high. Right. Dave Montgomery is practicing, I'm not perfect, we're always remember mm -hmm. practicing seven hours, smack dab in the middle of the six to eight recommendation, mm -hmm. seven hours of sleep every single day with no excuses. Right. And I'll give you one last example. We were watching a movie uh, Saturday, uh, on Friday. Mm -hmm. um, with my six-year-old and the very large <laughs> golden doodle. We're all watching movie, and it was 9.18. Well, I work out on Saturday mornings with a trainer, and I had to split. And, you know, my wife was like, you know, where are you doing? And I'm like, I sleep. Um, and that's controversial. Trust me, I understand. I've been married for eight mm -hmm. years. It is controversial to do that, but you've got to Talk about guardrails, <laughs> put your own limits, yeah. you know, put the limits around the perimeter yeah. so that I am more productive. And when I'm more productive and I'm less cranky, mm. uh, my wife likes me better. I'm like, babe, this is going to change, right? The kid, right. you know, I can run more with the kid. Yeah. Um, and so sleep is a big one. Um, and, um, and exercise. So we, we say this and it's so trite, like, ah, oh, yeah, doc, give me something I've never done before. <laughs> if we think of the top, if we think of the top 
performing people across sectors. Look at them. Um, uh, Bob Iger is, uh, you know, I started reading his book, Ride of a Lifetime. Bob Iger of Disney has a routine. Bob, Bob Iger, I think I'm saying his, right, his name right, makes as many decisions as the vice president of the United States. I mean, like he is like, you know, the, 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 the landscape of Disney is just enormous. enormous yeah. And he's making all those decisions. Talk about stress. Come on. Mm, I mean, he's acquiring mm. stuff. He's doing all this stuff. If Bob Iger didn't have a routine where he got up and he did a, a process of paying himself first, yeah. literally, meditation, quiet time, quietude, whatever you want to call it mindfulness, whatever, exercise, fueling my body for the day and for high performance, mm. he would not be as successful as he is. And he so was doing that way back when he was a young man. Mm. Mm. Um, so those are the principles that I want everybody to, to understand. The two ends of the spectrum, sleep and exercise, should not be given up at all. Yeah, and I'm glad you say that because a lot of people I talk to who struggle with mental illness, uh, you know, the thing that I always talk to them about, because this has been my experience, is if you're not sleeping, and you're not moving, it's going to affect your ability to think straight. And first thing you've got to do, and, and I've started doing that, I've started excusing myself uh, from, you know, the family movie, or we even had visitors the other night. And halfway through the night, I just said, time for me to go to bed. I'm sorry. Good night. Thanks for seeing, thanks for coming. And I just yeah. went to bed because I've realized that there's that moment where I, my body tells me it's time to sleep. And if I push through that, uh, I end up waking up again and then not sleeping properly. And it's just like you say, everything goes out of whack. My eating goes out of whack, my moods, my ability to remember and function properly. So yeah. such good advice. And it's so simple, isn't it? You know, we, we can all practice this so what are the minimum recommendations you said seven hours for sleep what about for exercise what are the minimum recommendations how many times a week should the average person be moving in some way yeah you know we we uh, this is part of what i think is the um it's a prn marketing problem this is a part of the marketing problems um there there is no one size fits all okay there's absolutely no one size fits all and i think there's actually counterproductive parts of that um where you know if you tell somebody 30 minutes of aerobic or cardio type exercises five days a week, which is the 150 minutes that you hear all the time. Mm. Well, that may not work for somebody who can't, um, uh, who, who is wheelchair bound, for example. Sure. Um, and so when, when, when I get a question like that and there's a large audience, I always say, this is the time where you hire a professional, a, mm. a, a trainer who knows what he or she is doing, yeah. a physical therapist, a physician who specializes in, you know, kinesiology and, and exercise, or a primary care doctor or, you know, or specialist who, who has a, a, a pension for these things. Um, but, but to your point, it has to be, there has to be something in there um, that helps you release some of those chemicals. I mean, think about, the the uh, you know I grew up in Chicago, it is freezing in Chicago right now, mm. and on the on Lake Michigan, I can guarantee you, what is it four fifty six our local time? There's somebody running on the lake, multiple somebodies, yeah. in shorts. Now, why is that? Yeah, are they insane? Yes, no. Yeah. It's 
it's because <laughs> it's because they go find a flow state yeah. that is chock full of all of these endorphins and caffeines, other neuromodulators, all these fancy words that we use. Yeah. All it is is your 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 body's blessed biochemistry. Yeah. It has it is so healing and soothing that it is um, it is what mimics marijuana. It is what mimics morphine. Yeah. In other words, the, the receptors for morphine have lived in our brains and our bodies for a long time. We're probably Neanderthal. I don't know, maybe before then. In other words, you get what I'm saying? So it's because your body will release an, a morphine-like substance on its own. Wow. Your body will release a cannabinoid-like substance on its own. And who doesn't want to go have that feeling, that natural feeling with no, no downs, no lows, no side yeah. effects? Yeah. That's why they're out there running. So if for nothing else, you want to perform at your highest mm -hmm. and you want to feel good, go exercise. Yeah. Like we can do it now. I've done it multiple times in my office. I know I'm, I'm, I'm meandering with my words here. I've done it multiple times with my office, in my office where when we could have people face-to-face, -face, now we're doing a lot of telemedicine with COVID, but um, you know, I'll have somebody just stand right in front of me and as silly as it sounds, to walk in place with their knees as high as their waist. Just walk in place, right? And if they're young enough, they have them put their arms out and walk in place and do that. R rotate your arms backward and forward. And as we're laughing and joking, it doesn't matter what was happening in their life before they came in. Mm. It didn't matter how scared they were when they walked through the door. You know, the finances, this, that, or the wife, it doesn't matter because yeah. at that moment, you cannot think of anything else. Now that's the beautiful gift of exercise. So not only does it make you feel good, you have to take a break from everything. You cannot be doing something that uh, physically, you know, ex exercise that takes your attention and be thinking about the podcast. You can't, you can't do it. Yeah. Right. And that's a beautiful thing. You can go get that anytime you want. And um, that's just the way we're made. I think it's great. That's great. That's great. Dr. Dave, I have so appreciated this conversation. I'm learning so much and I know our listeners are getting so much out of this as well. I'm so grateful for you taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you or learn more about your work, where can they go to find, more, find out more? This is very timely because my new website is going to be launched in the next week great. at the good Dr. Dave. Um, on social media and thegooddrdave.com. Uh, and so I'm very excited about that. It's going to be a place where we're going to put out a whole lot more material right. and content for people. Thegooddoctor.com. We're going to put that into the show description and just so you can get a hold of that. Uh, Dave, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tarun. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you got a ton of value out of that episode. Don't forget to let us know what you thought in the comments. And if you have a topic you'd like us to cover next time, we'd love to hear from you. If you know anyone that would benefit from the content that we produce, please like and share this channel. And we look forward to having you next time on the Tarun Stevenson Leadership Channel.